much I appreciate all who come out of their presence to this conference, made this a wonderful testimony to God. I want to preach to you tonight from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn there with me. And uh, we do want to minister the Word of God. Jeremiah, chapter 6. We were sitting at uh, breakfast with the evangelists as we... Uh, I have a wonderful time of uh, uh, talking about the Word of God and uh, often wrestle with spiritual subjects and so on and so forth, uh, get input from them. And it was Ken Haywood who shared with us that in the Navy, every ship is equipped today with a uh, global positioning satellite system, which is a marvelous, marvelous invention. Aircraft use this. And uh, this enables them to electronically position themselves uh, as they travel across untracked oceans. And they have these, aircraft uh, have these, and it's a fantastic uh, uh, invention and a wonderful system uh, to navigate by. Know exactly where you are. Uh, when we're flying, we have a map there. It's uh, tied into satellites uh, uh, two or three satellites at a time, sometimes up to six, uh, and you know exactly where you are. It shows you uh, um, to the minute detail where you are. Well, these ships are equipped with that. But he shared with us that uh, in addition to that, every Navy ship today uh, is uh, uh, has on board a, uh, uh, a crew member who is able to shoot the stars with a sextant uh, which was used for hundreds of years uh, for navigating uh, in the ocean. It does not depend on electricity. Generators doesn't depend on anything. It is a tried and true system because the stars do not change. And every ship has this on board uh, because we all know that sometimes electronic uh, equipment uh, fails. This is a fail-safe uh, system and this fail-safe system is upon every ship uh, in case they have, uh, in time of war, satellites destroyed uh, or the global positioning system fails upon the ship, uh, then this crew member can, with a sextant, uh, still navigate exactly and know where they are uh, uh, upon uh, planet Earth. This brings me to a, an interesting observation because in the church and in the kingdom of God, the old still has a place in spite of all the wonderful uh, uh, equipment and all the uh, glorious technology that we have. There is a temptation in our generation to anything that's over 30 years old, flush it. Most of you have now reached that place. to flush anything of any age because the new and the trendy, the flashy and the uh, fad will take its place. Uh, there's a temptation to do that. I was reading an article recently of a man. He says, why I sing the old hymns? And he gave his reasons because there is some meaning to them instead of, I feel good, you know. Just, and so, uh, so I want to call your attention this evening to the Word of God because the Word of God notes that. And here in this text that we're going to read uh, is a church, is a people 
the people of God, and they've lost their way. And there's a call that comes out. Jeremiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. I want to preach to you about the old school. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not ashamed at all, nor did they know how to bless. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they, did, but they said, we will not listen. I want to call your attention uh, tonight to the slow departure that happens in the people of God and movements that we have. Look with me for a moment, because this is the most deceptive element of believers. It was George Burnham who made an interesting observation, finally wrote a book, and he, the book he wrote was Frog in the Kettle, and he made this observation that you can take a frog, throw him into a pot of hot water this morning, he'll jump right out, he'll just keep jumping out. But if you put him in, and you start turning the heat up, he'll just sit there comfortably and die, boil to death, because the slow process is almost in, uh, 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 unobservable. And while he's feeling comfortable, uh, he finally uh, is boiled alive. He made the observation as he did that, and he wrote about the Church of Jesus Christ uh, and this tendency. This is a deceptive element, especially among believers. Uh, and in Jeremiah 48 and verse 11, the Bible says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He settled on his dreads, and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. Now, this carries an imagery from winemaking. And it makes an observation and does a parallel to which they would have been familiar that in winemaking there's a process and that step is in a certain period of time the vessels must be turned and if it does not the dregs that are there, uh, King James says lees, is there and it begins to affect the flavor and the wine becomes bitter and the flavor is uh, horribly affected and the wine is ruined, a slow, invisible deterioration, and there's a documentary on the church movement and the churches and movements that is noted right at that point. And this is why this text has been written. The prophet is observing this. He's giving warning concerning this. He speaks to the people of God who have allowed this slow departure from the reference points that God and he notes that the old paths have been left. 
In Jeremiah 18, verse 15, says, Because my people has forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths in a way not cast up. And so he's writing to the believers, to the people of God who become fleshly, they become carnal, and they've begun to worship, and their worship has been a worship that appeals to their senses. And he gives them a reference point of warning, uh, and this inevitably breaks down uh, discipleship. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, all uh, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, uh, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others uh, also. There are people here tonight, uh, there are pastors here tonight who say, <laughs> discipleship, hey, we are a discipleship-making uh, uh, fellowship. No, I'm not talking about the fellowship. I'm talking about you. See, there's a vast difference between uh, being a disciple making fellowship and you making disciples. And so what happens in a movement uh, is we pick up the little cliches, uh, and as we pick up the little cliches, uh, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing what the fellowship is doing when we're not doing what the fellowship is doing at all. And the Bible in Acts 21, verse 16, makes an interesting commentary. It says, Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And that word means an old, the original Disciples. Very interesting that uh, this, the Bible makes a commentary about that uh, because it's making that commentary because there's a contrast uh, between the original disciple and what is there, and they're noting that. I want to call your attention to a failure to communicate what we really are. It's astonishing uh, as I'm out on the field and I hear, hear, I hear tales about what I've done and what I've said. It's astonishing to me. And I ask myself, I don't think I know him. <laughs> but what the difficulty is that very slowly, if we're not careful, it begins to deteriorate, and we begin to think that because we are belong to a fellowship that makes disciples and plants churches, that we're actually doing this, when in fact we're off in left field doing something totally different. There's a glaring example of this deterioration in the religious world. I take uh, numbers of... Uh, uh, religious magazines. The reason I take that is so I want to know what not to do. <laughs> I have a recent article that was clipped out from one of these magazines, uh, which is that uh, organ of uh, fantastic revelation and true charisma magazine. It is noting the annual convention that marks a defining moment for the assemblies of God, and I quote, Mr. Trask, who is the general overseer, is speaking at this convention. There is 30,000 people, I believe, that attended this convention. And uh, he's disturbed. And, he's, uh, and he says the uh, Assemblies of God recorded a net gain of only 51 churches in 2002, bringing the total to 12,133 churches. 
and saw only a 3.4% increase in domestic membership, rising to nearly 1.6 million U.S. participants. Uh, ethnic groups claim a major share of this increase, uh, especially Hispanic and Portuguese congregations. He says the Assemblies of God was raised up to be a Pentecostal church in practice and not just in doctrine, Trask told Charisma. Referring to churches that soft-pedaled the Pentecostal experience in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he also bemoaned the trend of eliminating Sunday evening services, a long-held Assembly of God practice where believers are encouraged to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit and are called to ministry. Now, here's the leader who is a good man. He's uh, from my generation. He has observed the deterioration of his movement, and he's speaking out, and as he's speaking out, he's deeply concerned that what they are and what they believe and what they were founded on, they're losing it. And this is exactly the text that we have. The old paths are being left. So there's a tendency to compromise, as Pastor Campbell has said, to an accommodating theology. We begin with a revolutionary concept, a revolutionary spirit, and revolutionary principles, and then we begin to lower the standards so we can run a few more numbers, and then we become man-pleasers, and then we begin to compromise the truth, and then we have a desire for recognition, and then we begin to take the spirit of Diotrephes who loved the preeminence. And this slow deterioration and departure from what we are begins to take place. And this is why this text was written, because the prophet observed that, and God speaking to him to call his people back to the reference points and guidance into his will and in his purpose. Jeremiah 6 and 16, this is why he challenges, because he analyzes what's happening and says in Jeremiah 6, 16, Stand in the ways and see. Choose the path as, the, as you see the end result of the path you're looking at. And then verse 27 says, I've set you for a tower and fortress among my people that you may, uh, uh, that you may know and test their way. So here we have uh, God through the prophet saying, pay attention to where you're going. Look down the road. See where it is that you're going and uh, the road that you're taking. And not only that, but get up in the tower and take a look. And as you get up in the tower and take a look, uh, you see where it's leading you. And all we have to do is take an article and the handwriting's on the wall for you and I. Can you say amen? We have men that have left our fellowship. One of the first things to, to go is the Sunday night service. And I can tell you something, that folks who cancel Sunday night services, uh, uh, the reason they cancel Sunday night services is because they can't draw a crowd of people. Because any preacher knows, uh, and uh, as as Pastor Payne, this self-interest kicks in, if you can draw a crowd of people, you can take an offering. And I can't imagine a pastor that can draw a crowd of people is going to dismiss that Sunday night service. Isn't that profound? Not only that, but he says you need to test, uh, and as you test, uh, you need to test their way. And uh, this word test is an assayer's word. It means to analyze uh, chemically and to analyze and see what kind of composition 
that you're made of. Years ago, I worked at Reynolds Metals Company in Phoenix, Arizona. I worked in the instrument department. Our responsibility was control instruments to keep them functioning properly, and we had huge melting ovens. If I recall correctly, there were four of these over in one part of the plant. Now, what they would do is they were looking for a certain composition of the metal, and uh, they were taking scraps from factory, uh, loose-ends sawed off uh, of window frames, uh, and uh, ingots that they put in, uh, uh, dumpster loads of toothpaste tubes uh, that were out of a toothpaste factory, and all kinds of scrap they were putting in, and hour after hour, 24 hours a day, these uh, huge gas furnaces were melting this in those furnaces. Uh, and uh, there was a man who would put goggles on, lift up the door, and he would stir it with a paddle, and all the crud would come up to the top. He'd dip it off, pour it out, and uh, periodically, someone would come out from the laboratory and pour off a sample of that. They would take it to the laboratory and they would analyze the composition because they're looking for a certain uh, degree of uh, metal that is there. They would analyze that and then they would come back and say, we need so many uh, uh, ingots of, uh, of a certain quality and uh, that would be put in. And uh, this was the process because they're wanting to find a certain composition of the metal and they attained that uh, as this was melted down, and then they analyzed that. Uh, and this is this word, uh, uh, test. It is an assayer's word. An assayer takes uh, metal, whether it's gold or silver, tungsten or whatever it may be, they put it in a laboratory setting, and then uh, as they analyze that, uh, they know how, what the percentage of purity is, uh, and they adjust that, and the prophet says, uh, test, uh, and uh, Analyze what the composition of your life and your ministry is. Look at the road where you're going. Get up in the tower. How you get up in the tower is you pray. You begin to see a little further than the average man can, which the average man sees as far as the end of his nose and leads his life that way. He says, you get up in the tower. In other words, you pray, get a hold of God so that you have a vision of where this is leading you. Slow deterioration is the death knell to any ministry, any church, any movement. And this brings me to the inevitable consequences that we need to look at. They've left the old landmarks. This is why the prophet is speaking. And landmarks are a very important thing. When the children of Israel went across the Jordan River... The Bible says they were commanded to take from that river 12 stones uh, and put them on the shore and pile them up uh, that this would be a reference point uh, of a great miracle that God had brought them supernaturally into this uh, promised land. Uh, and this was a memorial that they were to have. They also were to, in the midst of the river, as the priests uh, came in, they carried the Ark of the Covenant in, the waters rolled back, and the Bible says they stood on dry ground in the midst of that, while the, uh, the children of Israel passed before them, and the river remained dry. Their feet were dry until everyone had passed over when they returned to the shore or continued to the shore, and uh, uh, they were to do something very distinctive. There in that river, 
They were to take another twelve stones, and they were to place them in the midst of the river. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 9 records this force, and it says these words, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they're there to this day. Now, something's very important in the Christian life, and that is moorings and boundaries. But what happens to us, if we're not very careful, the inevitable consequence of time begins to come in upon us, and we are willing to abandon truth for relevance. We need to be relevant, you know, because relevance is uh, the issue of the hour. And if we're not relevant, nobody will follow us. I want to tell you, you're looking at one of the most irrelevant human beings on planet Earth. When I came to Prescott, Arizona, as our sister testified, I didn't know uh, uh, a, a geranium from a pot plant. I wouldn't know the difference. I had no... I hated rock music. Rock music is from hell. Country western is what heaven has inspired. I was about as, as relevant to that bunch of hippies that began to come uh, as uh, uh, I can't even describe how relevant I was. Relevance did not build our movement. God built our movement. And He built our movement on what I hold in my hand, the truth of God. Can you say amen? In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, and verse 1 says, Dead flies putrefy the perfume's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. In other words, what you have is when you begin to compromise, it does not remain static. It begins to permeate, and he uses this imagery. Here's the apothecary's making a vat of a beautiful perfume, but one tiny dead fly comes in there, will putrefy the whole, and the Apostle Paul says a little leaven will leaven the entire lump. It is not static. You see, God's people lose their way. And they lose their way if there's not reference points. Uh, you could make ten sermons out of these stones in the river and stones on the bank. Uh, I'm not going to do that. But what is emphasized is here is a reference point to truth of what God has done and what He's doing. And God's people lose their way. This is why the prophet says uh, there's evil upon this people. Jeremiah chapter 6, 13 through 15, because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. And then he says, Nor did they know how to blush. I wonder this evening if you still know how to blush. You watch the filth. You watch people having sex on television. You're on your computer. 
You do your little job, your little thing. Do you still know how to blush? Does it cause you to blush when you see uninhibited sex orgies on your computers? You hit that little free lick that you get for nothing before you click in your credit card. You know, it's not, it must not be a sin if you don't have to pay for it. My people have lost the ability to blush. Does that sound up to date? The Bible says, Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says uh, the Lord. See, pastors set the pace. In the book of Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? See, the only reason this can take place is those who speak for God do not speak for God. They do not call the people to repentance. I have two articles on Tammy Faye Baker, who has a penchant for speaking to queers. Both of these, she's speaking in homosexual churches and just going to love them. Not her job, she says, to point out their sins. She's just going to love them. Where did that come from? Can you imagine that here you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're speaking to a group of people, and there's no condemnation that you bring of their lifestyle, and you're going to teach them whatever you please. See, what's happened in our generation is there's an appetite has been created for compromise. Well, you say, Pastor, this... uh, there's not an issue in my church. People can go to movies. It's not an issue in this church. People go to uh, have television. It's not, it's not an issue in this church. People have moral failure. That's not an issue in this church. What well, is an issue in God's church? Are you pastoring a group of people that you are slowly boiling that have lost the sensibility and the ability to blush at uh, uh, open uh, portrayal of sin, uncleanness, and ungodliness? Are you pastoring those people and leading them into that? Because, you see, God's people have lost their way. Instead of calling them back to the reference points of truth... uh, We have a wayward generation, and they're leaving truth to follow fads. I have a shocking article about Wheaton College. Wheaton College is a fundamental Baptist college for years, has produced missionaries. The five Aka missionaries that were slain in South America came out of Wheaton College. And I want to read you this recent article, Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois. Andy Morgan can't dance, but he figured he was in no danger of embarrassing himself. After all, he went to a high school that did not permit dancing, and when it came to pick a college, he settled on a Christian school that had not allowed dancing since the war, the Civil War. 
Come Friday night, the 21-year-old Morgan and as many as 1,200 fellow students at Wheaton College uh, will gather in the gym for the first real dance uh, in the school's 143-year history. Part of this reason is that change, any change, does not come quickly or without great deliberation at this quiet campus 25 miles outside Chicago. It was not until the late 60s uh, that the school lifted the rule prohibiting students from going to movies. For generations, students were barred from dancing on campus or off unless it was with members of the same sex or square dance. It was not until the 1990s that students and faculty were permitted to dance with spouses uh, or relatives at family events such as weddings. Nine months ago, the school lifted the ban altogether, freeing students to cut the rug on campus or off at Chicago clubs or other places. Listen. Wheaton also eased its ban on alcohol and smoking for faculty and staff. They can now drink and light up off campus as long as it's not in front of an undergraduate. I didn't make this up. This is the slow deterioration and compromise of people that ought to know better. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 17, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not uh, listen. I want to tell you something, Pastor. If you allow yourself to be drawn into this fad ministry, uh, and you allow yourself to be drawn into this compromise, uh, there's going to be a day uh, when you're going to blow the trumpet. And they're going to say to you, bug off. We're not about to hear what you have to say. See, many people shun the reproach that's brought by the gospel. There's a lust for acceptance. Lust for recognition. Let me read just a little more about this Assembly of God convention. The Assembly of God recently ordained Ricky Del Rio, senior pastor of Abounding Grace Ministries in Lone Manhattan, New York, after he spent 20 years as an independent minister. I never thought the Assemblies of God wanted me because our style is very different, he said. We deal with the people nobody wants, so we kind of look like them. I wear the earrings and the tattoos, so the traditional churches and a lot of functions I would go to would try to get me saved just because of the way I looked. Well, the thought did cross my mind. You know, there's an old uh, cliche that if it uh, uh, walks like a duck, and if it quacks like a duck, and it looks like a duck, it probably is a duck. Amen? If it acts like a whore, dresses like a whore, smells like a whore, and talks like a whore, it's probably a whore. If it dresses like a queer, acts like a queer, wiggles like a queer, it's probably a queer. You see, this type of theology is a theology... That is flawed and will destroy any move of God. I want to talk to you briefly about the call to return and to repent. 
is a historic problem. And in the Bible, this is called backsliding. In the book of uh, Hosea, chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, uh, For Israel slides back uh, like a backsliding heifer. Now, you folks have no idea what that's all about because you're all raised uh, uh, in front of televisions in, uh, in modern cities. You don't have the slightest clue what that is. I do. Every farm used to have a pond. And that pond generally was at the, uh, in a place where it caught water after a, 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 a runoff. Or, uh, it was, a, it was a, a, a place, where a low place, where they dammed up and water ran into it. And it generally had mud in it. You would have to, the stock would have to climb down and go in to drink out of the pond because the pond didn't remain at high level. It would, uh, through the period of time between rains, it would draw down. And this is the picture he's drawing is of a heifer who has gone down to drink and as she attempts to, cr- to climb back up and leave the slippery slope that she's on, she keeps sliding back down and he's drawing that picture and says, this is what my people are uh, They're trying to get out of it, but they can't get out of it. Because what they have involved themselves in has created conditions that they cannot easily extricate themselves from the place that they are. Apostasy is forsaking the principles that has established the truth in your lives. What happens is you begin to make excuses of why you cannot obey. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances, you've not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way will we return? See, there are people sitting here right now say, what's wrong? I'm fellowship. What are you talking about? I'm fellowship. Are you sure? Because here he's calling to a people who clearly are backslidden and they don't even know that they're backslidden. So you can't afford the issue tonight. And this is why he says, stand in the way and seek for the old paths. One commentator comments on that and says, look inquiringly backwards to the ancient history And see how success and enduring prosperity forsook your fathers when they left the way prescribed to them by God to walk in the ways of the heathen. If you talk like a heathen, if you act like a heathen, you probably are a heathen. Is this this too deep for you? So here we have the prophet, and it is very worthy at this point to reflect on our fellowship. There's an author named Tommy Tinney. He wrote a book, and in that book he disdains what he calls the dusty old truths from the Bible for some new thing. I want to call your attention to some of the principles that brought us where we are today. One of these is our moral posture. Barclay makes a commentary. I believe it's in the book Flesh and the Spirit. And he says, Moral purity 
is the one defining factor that Christianity brought to the pagan world. They were not ignorant of religion. They knew about religion. They had all kinds of religion. But he makes this note and he says purity, moral purity, was the one defining factor that Christianity brought to the pagan world. One of the things that has made us what we are is a moral posture that we will not turn a blind eye to immorality in any form. Can you say amen? Truth has brought us where we are. This is a generation that does not believe in absolutes. Barna also did a survey, and he brought the astonishing statistics of many people who sit in congregations exactly like you sit that do not believe what the Bible teaches. Now that ought to shock you. And it ought to floor you because it is only truth that will last for eternity. I was thinking as I was sitting on the platform, I, I thought about this. I was preaching in, in, uh, in London this past November. I was in a hospital room in Phoenix, Arizona, where our family had gone to gather around the bedside of Karen Heimberg. She had been under life support for some period of time. They will only uh, continue that. They put her in a coma and uh, they bring her out just for a moment uh, so she could be lucid. And so uh, they'd already said with this, uh, there's no hope. There's absolutely nothing we can do. She'd been on life support, had a tube down her throat, could not even communicate except write uh, notes uh, uh, when she was uh, uh, out of, from under the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the medication. And we're gathered there because this is going to be the final farewell. They've already said we're going to bring her out. She'll have some time with a family where she uh, will know you. And we're gathered uh, around that bedside. At one period in that, uh, just before the process is going to be done, we're gathered, we're around the bedside there, and Karen turned her head over to look at me, her eyes locked on mine. She knew she was going into eternity. And I cannot explain to you what I saw in those eyes, but let me describe what I am sure that I saw. In those eyes was the uh, settled confidence that, Dad, I believe the truth that you have stood for. I believe that. You see, it's easy for you and I when we're, uh, we're in assemblies. We do truth, 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 truth. But when you're going into eternity, you better have something that your soul can rest on. When you're looking into the face of a loved one that is going into eternity, you better have inside you an absolute confidence that this is the truth of God and this is what we have stood for for these many years. It was not some slick personality of a hick preacher that came into Prescott, Arizona, and he has this hip thing with the hippies. Man, he's just so slick. I was stupid about hippies. It was because I preached from this book 
with absolute confidence uh, that this book holds all the truth uh, that we will ever need to combat every life from hell, uh, every false cult, every demon spirit, uh, every false religion. It holds the truth. Amen. It was not new truth that birthed this fellowship. It was old truth uh, claimed, heralded, and practiced. We believe in salvation. Can you say amen? When I say we believe in salvation, we believe what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, period. President Bush, speaking in England, reporters gave him a trick question. They wanted to see if they can trip him up, and they asked about the difference in his God and, and uh, the Muslim God. And uh, he is a good man. He is saved. He doesn't know the Lord. Uh, but he erroneously said that we serve the same God. No, we don't serve the same God. That's the moon God. We don't serve the moon God. That God is a demon-inspired God from a demon-possessed pedophile whose last, whose last wife was nine years old. And all his writings came from foaming at the mouth, demon fits as he lay on the ground and spoke words. They wrote them down. That's where the Quran comes from. No, we don't serve the same God. Can you say amen? We believe in salvation, but that's the salvation that's in the book. We believe in outreach. Can you say amen? Witnessing evangelism outside the four walls. And if you're not out of evangelizing outside your four walls, you're not us. Jude 3 and 4, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 3.18 says, When I say to the wicked, You shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. What good does it do to be the pastor of a building full of people that are going to hell? Will you, will you tell me that? Say, well, I don't know if they're going to hell or not. You don't. Then get out of the ministry. Don't torment God's people any longer. Because the Bible spells out very clearly, you must be born again. And it says there are evidences that, uh, of that being born again. And Galatians says, no fornicator, no queer, no drunkard, none of these, no idolater. Read the list. You're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, 9 and 10. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over the kingdoms and over them, whatever you please. 
See, what's happened in our generation is there's an appetite has been created for compromise. Well, you say, Pastor, this, uh, this is not an issue in my church. People can go to movies. It's not an issue in this church. People go to uh, have television. It's not, it's not an issue in this church. People have moral failure. <laughs> That's not an issue in this church. Well, it's an issue in God's church. Are you pastoring a group of people that you are slowly boiling? That have lost the sensibility and the ability to blush at uh, uh, open uh, portrayal of sin, uncleanness, and ungodliness? Are you pastoring those people and leading them into that? Because you see... God's people have lost their way. Instead of calling them back to the reference points of truth, we have a wayward generation, and they're leaving truth to follow fads. I have a shocking article about Wheaton College. Wheaton College is a fundamental Baptist college for years, has produced missionaries, the five Aka uh, missionaries that were slain in South America came out of Wheaton College. Uh, and I want to read you this recent article, Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois. Andy Morgan can't dance, but he figured he was in no danger of embarrassing himself. After all, he went to high school that did not permit dancing, and when it came to pick a college, he settled on a Christian school that had not allowed dancing since the war, the Civil War. Come Friday night, the 21-year-old Morgan and as many as 1,200 fellow students at Wheaton College will gather in the gym for the first real dance in the school's 143-year history. Part of this reason is that change, any change, does not come quickly or without great deliberation at this quiet campus 25 miles outside Chicago. It was not until the late 60s uh, that the school lifted the rule prohibiting students from going to movies. For generations, students were barred from dancing on campus or off unless it was with members of the same sex or a square dance. It was not until the 1990s that students and faculty were permitted to dance with spouses uh, or relatives at family events such as weddings. Nine months ago, the school lifted the ban altogether, freeing students to cut the rug on campus or off at Chicago clubs or other places. Listen. Wheaton also eased its ban on alcohol and smoking for faculty and staff. They can now drink and light up off campus as long as it's not in front of an undergraduate. I didn't make this up. This is the slow deterioration and compromise of people that ought to know better. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 17, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not uh, listen. I want to tell you something, Pastor. If you allow yourself to be drawn into this fad ministry, uh, and you allow yourself to be drawn into this compromise, uh, there's going to be a day uh, when you're going to blow the trumpet. And they're going to say to you, bug off. We're not about to hear what you have to say. 
See, many people shun the reproach that's brought by the gospel. There's a lust for acceptance. 